so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. So the lawnmower people are are back. So we're in a we're in a, we're in a mower delay. Yeah, we're in a mower delay. I mean, I'm really it's thankful like for them. Delay. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful for them, but like... Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the URLC Podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the URLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today are my co-hosts, Lindy Nicolay. Hello from second winter, because apparently it's not spring yet. No kidding. Uh, we got some snow here, apparently, overnight, which is weird. And uh, in other places, they got way more snow. And mm-hmm. uh, that has to, you know, just absolutely sadden and dishearten our fellow co-host, Brent Leatherwood. Our Christmas-loving co-host. Yeah, well, no I mean, uh, hey, just to clarify, it's not like the snow laid. I mean, it just it's just flurries. Okay, there are other parts of the country that are seeing several inches of snow. So we, we are blessed to live in a place where we don't have to trudge through that. Um, and remember, Christmas lives in your heart, so you can play Christmas music in any season because Jesus is the reason for every season. So there you go. Guys, I'm so glad that you get to experience what is basically this ball of contradictions that is Brent Leatherwood, who hates winter, loves Christmas, and loves Tennessee so so much he has to make sure you know it didn't actually snow here. So... All of that to say, uh, it's going to be a fun day of podcasting. We're really excited to talk uh, later in the show to one of my close friends, uh, Virginia Robertson. Virginia is the director of Your Choice Resource Center, which is the uh, crisis pregnancy center in my hometown in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And we are very excited to have her join us on the show later on. But Lindsay, so that we can get into it, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. So we're going to kick it off with our favorite technology expert, Jason Thacker, our colleague, He has an article titled, How Social Media Can Impede Our Witness, The Disconnect of the Digital Life. And I thought that this article was important because it rings true of so many, even in the Christian community. And basically what Jason is talking about is how we portray ourselves one way in person, then another way on one medium on the internet, say Twitter, and then another way on Facebook for another audience, and then maybe we're trying to be an influencer like our girl Megan Smith on uh, Instagram, or like our colleague Julie Masson influencing people to build she sheds. Uh, but we oftentimes act in ways on social media that we would never act in person, or we say things or type things that we would never type uh, in print, like on a book or something like that. And Jason describes, you know, it should be intuitive to us as believers, but Jason describes how this is so detrimental to our witness for Christ because we 
we have two faces. So these two faces that we often portray in real life and on social media impedes our witness uh, to Christ because uh, it it tells a false story of who our God is. He doesn't have two faces. There's no, there are no, he does not lie. Uh, there's no darkness within, within him. He is the God of light and the God of truth. He is a God of justice and grace and mercy and kindness. Uh, so we want to be people who reflect that, not just in person, uh, but also on social media as well. Yeah, Lindsay, this was a great piece from Jason. It reminded me of something I saw my friend Josh Rivas uh, post on Twitter uh, earlier today. He said, I remember when being a Christian influencer meant being salt and light. And man, I just thought that was really convicting because like there's a lot to this whole online world of both the way that we try to portray ourselves and what we want others to think about us. And what we should mostly be concerned with are the things that Jesus told us about being sure that people can see the love of Christ in us, about seeking first the kingdom. And so being salt and light in the world, like that's a that's something to strive for or aim for when we're thinking about the way that we conduct ourselves online and in every aspect of our lives. And that's actually a great segue into the next article uh, by Jill Wagner, also our colleague, because the reason why we strive to be salt and light, uh, other than to be to reflect our Savior, to be obedient to Christ, is because we value the dignity, the inherent dignity of every individual that we're interacting with. And Jill's article is titled, How to Raise Children Who Honor Human Dignity. I loved this article. She shared some easy ways that we can lead our children, shepherd our children toward valuing every single individual, regardless of age, regardless of um ethnicity, regardless of level of ability. And just some of the points she makes, I'll tell you real quick, instill personal worth, tell stories, foster diverse relationships, and store up good things. And she says this, in a world where differences so often stir up division and anger, may we be and raise the people who will take the opportunity to marvel at the multifaceted beauty of God's creation and demonstrate the gracious and compassionate love of our Savior to those around us. And really, the only response to that is amen. May the Lord make us this kind of people. Well, Lindsay, it was cool to see this article. I mean, human dignity is something that we focus on all the time here at the ERLC. And this uh, particular article coming from Jill, who is someone who both in her own life and with her family, uh, absolutely models just being care, like caring and being concerned for other people. She's really like exemplary when it comes to caring and recognizing those around her and showing them that they matter to her. Uh, and so it was cool to see this. I love these articles that are aimed at how uh, how to teach your kids, how to talk to your kids, or in this case, how to raise children who do these things, because these are practices that we want our children uh, to embrace and embody. Yeah, that gives me an opportunity to give a shout out to our former colleague, Philip Bethencourt, because the joke around the office was he always would write articles about how to teach your children this, five ways to talk to your kids about this. So we had to have some other people uh, step up and, and carry that mantle. So we're thankful that Jill has written this article and for the resource that it is for our listeners. And then actually our colleagues are stealing the show this week. Our colleagues are stealing the show this week because this final article is also by a staff member at the ERLC, Julie Masson. And Josh mentioned that later on, we're going to talk to a pregnancy resource director. And this article that I'm highlighting by Julie is about a pregnancy resource center. And it's titled, COVID-19 Didn't Stop This Pregnancy Resource Center From Saving Lives. 
This week on ERLC.com, we are highlighting the amazing, wonderful, life-changing, and saving work of pregnancy resource centers. And Julie had the opportunity to visit a clinic uh, within her hometown of Kansas City. And she told the story of how during COVID, you know, there were many restrictions, lockdowns were happening, uh, people couldn't come for in-person visits, and yet the staff at this clinic, Parkville Women's Clinic, did not let that stop them from serving mothers and fathers and these unborn babies during COVID-19. She talks about some of the changes that they made, some of the ways that they had to pivot, but also how that demonstrated their commitment to life and to human dignity. And then at the end, she gives a call to all of us as believers to reach out to our local pregnancy resource centers to find out ways that we can help. Even in the midst of lockdowns, we can do something as simple as provide donations of diapers and wipes. Uh, We can pray. We can do things like that. And as Julie says, it will go a long way in showing them that we stand for life together with them. You know, we, we get to work you know, in the public square advocating for for pro-life uh, public policy changes. And like, that is a, that is a privilege for us to do. Uh, but I am so thankful that we are highlighting uh, pregnancy resource clinics because they truly are on the front lines of this ministry, uh, meeting vulnerable women and, and, and families who are, you know, maybe in situations they just don't know what to do. They are meeting them in that moment, a very, hard moment in many of these cases and they are serving them so well and it and it leads in many cases as a matter of fact i mean based on the statistics that we know uh from the clinics where we have placed ultrasound machines the vast majority of times it actually leads to life and and so like what an amazing ministry uh that that these leaders um are able to do uh, on the front line serving um, these women and families. And uh, and we want to lift them up, uh, not just in prayer, but also uh, supporting them. And so we are we are so thankful to be able to do that uh, through our Stand for Life initiative and, and through our Psalm 139 uh, project that places ultrasound machines in these. And one thing that always uh, I'm I'm always thankful for is look, we are out there opposing the abortion industry and and specifically Planned Parenthood, the number of these pregnancy resource clinics that are out there and these community centers that are serving women, they far, far uh, outpace the number of like uh, Planned Parenthood uh, clinics. And I think most Christians just don't even appreciate that. Like there's a number of these clinics that are right in your communities, right in your neighborhoods or in your state that that need your kind of support. And we just need to do every opportunity to celebrate these people because they are saving lives. And gosh, what an amazing, amazing mission that these people are on. And this ministry is often fraught with spiritual warfare, uh, where, as Brent, you mentioned, they're on the front lines of the battle, and there is a a toll that it takes, and there's a price that they pay, and that's why they need us as believers to stand beside them for life. On our site this week, I just covered these three articles. There are other articles with topics like how to guard your life and doctrine in seminary, um, helping teens think through hard questions about Christianity, like who cares if you're a boy or a girl? How does politics shape the way we see the world? So I would encourage you as listeners to go to our site, 
read those things, save them, bookmark them if you don't have a chance to read them right away. But Josh and Brent, for now, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us to the culture section for the week. So Brent, tell us what's going on, man. All right. Thanks for that, Josh. Uh, Since we are recording a tad earlier in this week, I thought I would just change it up a little bit and do kind of three big stories. Uh, There's obviously going to be some more news that, that breaks after we record this, but I thought these three stories were especially prominent and uh, and good fodder for us to talk about and for our audience to to definitely uh, know about. All right, so let's begin domestically with some news from the courtrooms. Derek Chauvin, the former uh, police officer in Minneapolis, was found guilty on Tuesday of this week. Axios reports this. A jury on Tuesday found former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of second-degree murder third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter in George Floyd's death. This rare conviction of a police officer may come to be seen as a defining moment in America's collective reckoning with issues of race and justice. Video of Chauvin holding his knee to Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes as Floyd pleaded that he couldn't breathe sparked global protests. He faces a likely sentence of up to 12 years behind bars for the second-degree murder charge, though the judge could go higher if jurors find aggregating factors. Following the verdict, President Biden and Vice President Harris spoke to Floyd's family on the phone. In a news conference, the president later said, quote, nothing is going to make it all better, but at least now there's some justice, he said. And so, uh, you know, look, for the ERLC, we we work in the public square and in courtrooms. And one of the issues that um, that we spend a lot of time on is uh, racial unity and um, and justice reform. Um, and, and so this was a moment that that uniquely, I thought, uh, spoke to us as an organization and, and certainly to our president, uh, Russell Moore. And um, but it, it wasn't just us. I mean, this was a this was a cultural moment. It really was, Brent. It was one of those moments that um, even if you weren't paying attention a lot to the lead up, uh, even if yesterday you started your day in a totally normal way and weren't expecting to be caught up in the middle of uh, one of these big moments in American history, by the end of the day, almost all of us were. We, uh, Our team was kind of just waiting. We found out earlier in the day that the verdict of the jury had reached a verdict and that it was unanimous. And so uh, certainly most of us thought that that meant having the jury come back just on day two of their deliberations, that they probably settled on a conviction. And we were just kind of bracing for it, as was uh, much of America, particularly in the Black community, as they were waiting to, to know if we were going to see here justice done. And, you know, it's always hard when you're watching uh, from the outside, something that's taking place in a courtroom as juries deliberate, like we, we can't from our positions do a, uh, usually do an adequate job of determining whether justice was done or what should have happened. But in this case, uh, with George Floyd's death, we watched all of us, this nine minute video as he begged and pleaded for his life as bystanders uh, begged for his life and sought to intervene on his behalf. and. Seeing the convictions come back yesterday with a conviction, a a verdict of guilty on all three charges from manslaughter to second and third degree murder, there was a collective sigh of relief that was let out by so many people across the country. And 
even though, as Dr. Moore and others have said, no jury can bring back George Floyd, in the temporal sense, in the earthly sense, we feel like we has, we've seen justice done in this case. You know, Dr. Moore, this is an, an issue, racial unity, that has been on his heart since he shares, since he was probably about 15. So I really appreciated his thoughts in the midst of this. He released an article titled, The George Floyd Trial and the Longing for Justice. And I just wanted to read a paragraph from that as many of us— um, you know, are are facing a, a mixed emotions, uh, grieving um, as we are having hard conversations with family members, maybe neighbors and friends. This, well, this whole article that Dr. Moore shared is poignant, but I really appreciated this paragraph in particular. We might not know how to fix everything, but we know where we can start, and we must. That will require a long and hard work in our callings as citizens, but also for the Church of Jesus Christ to bear one another's burdens, with white Christians standing with their African-American and other minority brothers and sisters. When one part of the body of Christ suffers, we all do. If we are, in fact, joined together as brothers and sisters, if we belong to one another, we should act like it. And that's exactly it. And acting like it in this case means grieving with those who grieve, um, helping bear burdens, listening well, and just uh, putting our arm around our brothers and sisters, like Josh said, particularly African-American brothers and sisters who are feeling the weight of this and um, standing beside them. All right. So, Lindsay, let me let me pick up with exactly something you said about the weight. So, uh, you know, since the jury went out and started deliberating on this, it just seemed like in this cultural moment and and on this specific case, like there's such a weight uh, on this decision and the verdict that they would potentially render. Uh, it, it it kind of is evidence of the fact like that the system is still just, it, it's out of kilter, it's out of balance, that so much would be riding on one case. And then I was even reminded, I, I wish I'd saved the, the tweet. Um, a, a journalist had tweeted this out. Remember that this, this case began with the Minneapolis Police Department putting out a statement that said a medical incident had occurred. Um, and it's only because we've got the, the video evidence of uh, the young lady who thought to tape this that we know that, that there's something wrong that happened here. And in fact, now... We can call it what it was. It was a murder. And like, it, it just, it, it shouldn't have come to this. Um, but I am, I am hopeful that this means that perhaps there is a turning point, a recognition that no more quote unquote medical incidences uh, will go unchallenged. And in fact, there, there will be justice that is served. Yeah, Brent, I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that this was initially reported as a medical incident that occurred while police were on a given scene. Uh, because I think a lot of times people are asking themselves um, why this one garnered so much attention or why this matters so much. And one of the very clear answers to the reason that this matters so much is that without this video, had not a, I think a 17 year old, like a brave 17 year old taken the time to film this on her cell phone, we wouldn't know the name George Floyd. We would not have heard about this horrific tragedy. And that's unacceptable. If not for a video camera, we, we wouldn't have known about this. And this may have gone totally unnoticed and unregarded with a family left to grieve privately. So this is a huge uh, inflection point 
for us as a nation. I think that a lot of uh, people, uh, especially many, many people from the black community, a lot of my black friends even yesterday have pointed out that for them, this is a semblance of justice, but it is accountability. It is about seeing police officers who we can, at, at the ERLC and as Christians, we can say two things at the same time. We, we can affirm our support uh, for law enforcement and for the fact that we think that they do a vital, critical public service, public good. And we are grateful and appreciate all of that. But we don't think anybody should be able to act with impunity. We think every person should be held accountable for their actions. And we're at a place right now where a lot of people, like, like I mentioned earlier, are, are breathing a sigh of relief just to see this measure of accountability, to know that, that hopefully the future doesn't look like us uh, repeating stories like this. It doesn't look like more people dying needlessly at the hands of the police. Okay, so that was a story that, that likely uh, did not miss because, I mean, it, it, it saturated uh, the news environment. Here's one that maybe you did miss. So early in the week, uh, it was announced that the Biden administration has reversed an order on the use of fetal tissue in research, in medical research. So uh, from uh, our colleagues over at Baptist Press, pro-life advocates decried the, the Biden administration's decision to rescind policies that restricted research using human fetal tissue obtained from elective abortions. The National Institutes of Health announced on April 16th it would no longer maintain a human fetal tissue research ethics advisory board to review proposals for external experiments, such as at universities, using tissue from elective abortions. The board also recommended whether the entity should provide funding. In 2020, the advisory panel rejected 13 of 14 applications in the only meeting it held. The NIH also overturned a ban on research within institute laboratories that requires the new purchase of fetal tissue from elective abortions. Our boss, uh, Southern Baptist ethicist Russell Moore, said this, This was the wrong decision. We ought to have respect both for the sanctity of human life and also for the reverence we owe the bodies of the dead. We have seen time and time again that scientific research of the most cutting-edge kind can happen without any sacrifice of medical ethics or human dignity. This sort of research should be banned. Human life and human bodies are not means to an end. Uh, this is certainly something that's important uh, for us in the, the Christian world and, and in the ethical space, and it's probably not something that a lot of pro-life advocates know uh, about. Yeah, honestly, this is barbaric and horrific. What we're talking about is profiting, even if we're not talking about monetarily, we're talking about scientifically or medically profiting off the backs of aborted babies. That's just totally unacceptable. In the same way that we have this visceral reaction to the death of George Floyd and the injustice that is there, this is an unconscionable act of injustice. Uh, and for the government to sanction the use of aborted bodies, aborted children, in order to advance medical research, it's just, well, I'll pivot to one of my favorite. It's hot garbage. Okay, like this is not a thing that is acceptable or okay. It is unconscionable and disgusting. And it's totally unnecessary because as Dr. Moore pointed out in that quote, we can achieve the medical innovations and accomplish the scientific research that we want to accomplish without doing this. 
One of our friends and another Southern Baptist ethicist, uh, C. Ben Mitchell, was on this board, and he has plenty of articles on our site just explaining various issues when it comes to the dignity of unborn children, when it comes to personhood theory, uh, when it comes to many of these ethical issues and rejecting, like Josh said, profiting off of these murdered babies, basically. And um, this gives me a chance to make you aware that our biannual magazine, Light Magazine, which is usually on a one certain topic, is going to be on the life issue as we look forward to Roe versus Wade, the 50th anniversary, as we look at different developments in the pro-life movement and developments in the fight against abortion, we wanted to highlight some some important materials. We're going to highlight the work of pregnancy resource clinics. We're going to highlight an article by Ben Mitchell about personhood. We're going to highlight some books and resources that will be good for equipping you and educating you on these various topics. But it's just another way that we can stand for life and stand against uh, the culture of death that is so pervasive in our society. All right, so for this this final story, it's probably one that you heard of, although I think there's a there's a really unique aspect of it that I heard this week that, that maybe most people missed. Uh, so it has to do with the first ever flight on another planet. That's right, on Mars, uh, NPR reports that NASA's Ingenuity helicopter made the first powered flight on another planet more than 117 years after the Wright Brothers' historic flight on our planet. The flight itself was modest. The four-pound helicopter rose 10 feet in the air, hovered briefly, and returned to the Martian surface. An image taken from the craft showed Ingenuity's shadow on the surface, and another from the Perseverance rover showed an airborne Ingenuity. Quote, we can now say that human beings have flown a rotorcraft on another planet, NASA project Ma- manager Mimi Ong announced to her team. And so the the thing that I thought was so neat about this that most folks maybe didn't realize, they placed a piece of fabric from the Wright Brothers plane on the Ingenuity uh, helicopter. And so uh, a piece of the first ever machine to fly on our planet is now a part of the first ever machine to fly on another planet. I I don't know why I think that's so neat. I I mean, I'm putting on my nerd hat here, but I just that, that was cool and I thought it was something worth mentioning. It's definitely worth mentioning and it gives me all of the North Carolina feels right now because, you know, uh the Wright brothers did their flights at Kildover Hills in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Uh, it's a place my family and I go to vacation. My wife has family there. So that's just awesome. But even more awesome is the fact that we're talking about flying on another planet. Okay, like this is amazing. This doesn't happen. And like, oh gosh, I just think about the fact that it, it was barely it was barely 30 years before I was born that we flew to the moon for the very first time and put a man on the moon for the first time. Now we're talking about having a machine flying on the surface of Mars that is, or off the surface of Mars, that is unbelievable. It's amazing, but I don't want to fly on other planets. I like being here on Earth. I like the safety and security that I'm provided. I've seen what Mars is like by watching The Martian, and I don't want to have to live there (laughs) and like fast forward my life by like 100 years or something. I can't remember what the time difference was. 
Um, but also, it makes me want to remind y'all about that show Away on Netflix. Do you remember that with Hillary Swank? where this team went to Mars. So if you want to see what a team going to Mars looks like, watch the show. And I had such high hopes for it, but then season two got canceled, even though it was a hit show. So you only see them get to Mars. You don't know if they ever made it home. You don't know what happened. You don't know if they found Matt Damon there. You don't know any of that. So it's amazing that you can go to Mars, but I don't want to go. That's basically the short version of what I just said. Well, fun fact, um, and spoiler alert, I have never watched The Martian because Interstellar is one of my favorite movies, and Matt Damon is in space and plays the bad guy, and I just can't can't make the transfer to watch The Martian because for me, if Matt Damon's in space, he's a villain. So there you go. That's your useless piece of information. Wow, that's great. I, I love how we t- took a historic achievement kind, and we just went to, you know, sci-fi flicks. Uh, that's That's our... <laughs> That's our contribution to the moment. That's all we know of it. That's all. That's the only way we can really grasp it, Brent, from our sci-fi experiences. Yeah, well, it is. Look, it's a it's a milestone, and uh, who knows uh, where this uh, this leads in terms of our exploration uh, of the planets. Uh, but this is uh, this was just a really neat moment, and I again, I just thought that this using something from the Wright brothers for this is man that's cool so anyways uh that josh and Lindsay, uh that's your look at this week in culture your abbreviated look at this week in culture so now we're about to talk to virginia robertson virginia is one of my honestly she's a hero to me in life she is the director of your choice resource center in rocky mountain north carolina which is my hometown she's someone who is uh, godly and dedicated to the cause of Christ and to the pro-life mission. She uh, leads this local uh, crisis pregnancy center in ministering to women and to our whole community in our hometown. And it is an honor to get to talk to her today. So Virginia, as we're getting started, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're serving in ministry right now? And while you're at it, would you tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life in ministry? Sure. Um, I am the executive director of Your Choice Resource Center. I've been here for about six years. Uh, Before that, I taught middle schoolers. I have four grown children, eight adorable grand darlings, and I'm married to a worship pastor. Um, So that's that's kind of me. But what God is teaching, oh, he is saying, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You know, in uh, in Christian ministry, but just being a believer in general, um, we get the privilege of being part of whatever it is God is doing. And but the thing is, it's all his. It's all his thing. It's his agenda. It's his plan. It's his purpose. It's it's all of that. And so it has nothing to do with us, except that we get to be invited and we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. But but it's by His Spirit. And then also prayer, Uh, the verse, we have a focus verse for the team, and it comes from Ephesians 6, uh, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert and perseverance, uh, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer, the spirit of God and prayer, you know, just crying out to God constantly. That is what he's saying. It's all about him. And it's such a relief to be able to depend on God and his Holy Spirit and not depend on ourselves. Well, I love that. I feel like I just want to uh, 
raise my hands right now in worship. Thank you so much for for that encouragement. And well, just I was your, actually doing that. Yeah, <laughs> you were. I love it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, I can tell that your work and your walk go hand in hand. So, do you mind telling us a little bit about what led you to get involved in pro life work, particularly through a local pregnancy resource center? Oh yes. Well, um, you know, I, I was raised in a Christian home, but it was not a pro-life home. Uh, back in like the 70s, uh, I don't know, the church just was real quiet about um, abortion and, and that kind of thing. But uh, once I became familiar with uh, a, a center and what they did, you know, God is at work in these pregnancy resource centers every day, powerfully. And I want to be part of that. And I, of course, I never saw myself as being on staff and certainly not as a director. I had volunteered for many years, but um, anyhow, when God calls you to do something, you know, you, well, you just better do it no matter how hard it is. Uh, that is a great answer. And thank you. And, and so, uh, look, a lot of our audience, you know, they identify as pro-life and, and, and they want to be supportive of pregnancy resource clinics, but I've bet you there are quite a few folks that that aren't maybe as familiar with like what your day-to-day looks like and how you are uh, serving uh, these women and families. So can you just give us a, a brief overview of, of what a PRC does? Yes. Um, so um, all pregnancy resource centers basically have the same vision, and that is that abortion will become unthinkable. And so, you know, that goes way, way beyond legislation. That That's about the hearts and minds of individuals. And so when, you know, a person comes to us who's in an unplanned pregnancy, we try to identify, okay, what what is, what's their point of vulnerability? What is their challenge? What's causing them to feel like they have to get an, an abortion? And so um, we offer, of course, information about all their options and we tell them about the risks and the procedures of abortion you know that that's just really important especially right now you know with the um, pill being so readily available and um, the FDA FDA just making teleabortions okay you know they need to know what to expect with that so so we tell them about the risks and the procedures Uh, of course we don't refer for abortions uh, we offer them free ultrasounds so they can see their baby. If um, adoption is something they're open to, then we will refer them to an adoption agency. Uh, if, if parenting is what they want to do, then, then we have all sorts of things. Uh, we have classes, online classes, where that are about uh, prenatal classes, parenting classes, childbirth classes. And if they take those classes, then they earn vouchers. And they can use those vouchers to shop in our Abundant Joy Baby Boutique. And that's got everything babies need. Cribs, cars, you know, anything, clothes, diapers, all of that. And they can shop. We have Bible studies. We have lactation classes. You know, we we try to meet every need that they may have. Um, If their need is financial, we actually partner with a group called Let Them Live. And we can refer them, and they will assess the situation, and they have the resources to actually meet those financial needs. 
So with our different partnerships and what we have here in the center, um, we try to do everything to make abortion unthinkable. Just amazing work. And I'm so glad that you mentioned ultrasounds because one of the best things we get to do at the ERLC is place ultrasounds at pregnancy resource centers across the country and soon internationally through our project called the Psalm 139 Project. So could you give us a little window into how this technology makes a difference in the work that you do? Oh, goodness gracious. Ultrasounds absolutely save lives. You know, back in the day before ultrasound, the question was, well, you know, when's a baby a baby? You know, when does life begin? All of that. And so um, like an early abortion just wasn't a big deal. But now ultrasound, I mean, that's a complete game changer because, you know, these moms can see their little baby for, for our machine. Our machine won't pick up till about around six weeks. We can we can show them, you know, can see that little flicker, that little heartbeat. You see that little, we call them a, um, a butter bean. And um, just seeing the, that life that's in there. And, and we've had babies that... Um, looked like they were putting on a show, you know, for their moms to see them. And, um, you know, with high-powered ultrasound machines, a heartbeat, the baby's heartbeat can be detected at 21 days after conception. Isn't that phenomenal? It's a miracle of modern technology, uh, no doubt about Mm -hmm. it. So when you're using uh, that kind of technology, you know, every every center uh, that I have visited has these amazing stories of redemption mm-hmm. and and hope from 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 the women that they are serving. Are there any mm-hmm. stories or a particular story uh, that comes to mind for you that that maybe you could share with us and and our audience that that you've seen firsthand uh, at the at, at your choice resource center? Oh, I sure can. Um, so we also have a medical mobile unit, a stork bus that um, we park across the street from an abortion clinic. And we have, um, we can do ultrasound on that um, mobile unit. And so this was, this was just two weeks ago. We were parked across the street from an abortion clinic. Now, um, we do not protest. We do not hold signs or anything like that. We just parked the mobile unit. We do stand um, where we are legally allowed to stand. And then as women go in, we do call out to them. But um, all we say is, you know, hey, I'm Virginia. Um, we have free ultrasound. And, and that's it. So uh, two weeks ago, our team was at, across from the abortion clinic and uh, the person that was standing there, his name's Cody, and a girl, the, the, anyhow, the owners of the clinic have been telling them to go in the back, and they've told them, don't make eye contact with those people, that kind of thing, but she messed up and went to the front, and Cody just called out to her, hey, I'm Cody, we have free ultrasound, God loves you, and she didn't look at him, and she went inside. Well, she came out a few minutes later, and she was visibly upset, and she came over, and she asked about the free ultrasound, and he said, of course, the nurse is over there waiting for you, so she went over um, and got on the bus and then began to talk to our nurse, and, and what she told the nurse is that she did not want to have an abortion, um, but she felt like she had no other choice, 
Um, she had been in the military. She'd been married, but because of different things, um, was no longer married or in the military. She had a job that was homeless. Um, and she just didn't know how she could have this baby. But when she went in the abortion clinic, she asked the, the lady at the desk, could she please have an ultrasound before she made this decision? And the lady was very rude to her, according to, to this girl, and told her that she could have no services without paying in full. So she was trying to get out the money and she was fumbling around. The, the lady was very impatient with her. And she kept hearing Cody's voice say, free ultrasound. So um, she just she just said, I, I, can't, I can't do this now. And she walked out. Well, she was able to see the little flicker. It's a flickering light, these little itty bitties, little flickering light of the heartbeat of the baby. And... Um, she said, you know, I can't do this. I can't do this. And our nurse, Cindy, just talked to her about, you know, what had she ever thought about adoption? And she said, well, you know, um, I have, and I think I can do this. So we were able to refer her to our uh, local adoption agency. It's, it's Christian Adoption Services, um, who are now connected with Baptist Children's Home. We were able to connect her with one of their representatives. We also partnered with a group um, called uh, Love Life, and they help churches become uh, houses of refuge who take in these these women who are in situations like this girl. And so, I mean, just in a matter of moments, this girl's life was completely changed because of the ultrasound, because of connecting with the adoption agency, because of the church and the houses of refuge. I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional, but you know, praise God, look at what he does. And yesterday the mobile team was back um, outside the abortion clinic again. And uh, she came on, just, you know, to touch base and have another ultrasound and see her little, her little peanut, we call it a little peanut. And at what a difference this has made in the life of this woman, but now her family and now some other family. I am amazed at what, what God does. So thank you, thank you, thank you for um, what you do and for the ultrasound initiative that, that you have going on. You know, praise God. People's lives are being changed. Well, Virginia, I just I just have to say, A, like, gosh, this is this is just providence working out here. When we were talking earlier, we were talking about y'all being on the front lines of ministry. And here you are, you are literally uh, at that that state mandated line outside of an abortion clinic, offering offering women a a, a life saving choice here, an, a life saving option, and you're using the latest technology, the same technology that they have in there uh, in that abortion clinic. You're using it for life, and mm-hmm. oh, I, I, all of us thank God. I mean, you you literally brought us. I, I mean, tears in our eyes just hearing about this kind of success. And then B, I'd be mm-hmm. remiss if I didn't mention, you've got a stork bus. How awesome is, yeah. what a great name. What a great name. <laughs> so do you know about storks? It's called Save the Stork. Get it? Save the Stork. Well, I'm glad we got that in there uh, for people in case they, they've never heard of something called a stork bus before. Uh, but Virginia, honestly, I, I knew this was going to be a great interview. I knew it was going to be great because I know you. I know about the incredible life-giving work that happens uh, at your choice there in Rocky Mount. And 
at PRCs all across the country, but we are so, so grateful uh, for you and for your partnership in the gospel and for the amazing work that you are doing. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us today. Oh, thank you. It's an absolute privilege. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things we've been talking about with one another. Lindsay, you're up first this week, so tell us what's on your mind. So this is something I might have mentioned before. I cannot remember, but I'm just reminded again how beneficial it is to my own life. And that is the YouVersion Bible app that you can download on your phone. I actually had the privilege of interviewing the creator of this app, who was just a great person to talk to, has such a heart for the Lord and for people to know God's Word. And hearing from him the doors that this app, being able to have your Bible on a phone has actually opened, they are able to get the Bible into closed countries. It is incredible how many people are interacting with the Bible because of this app. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because, you know, I work at a Christian organization. I've been a Christian for a while, but I am struggling lately in my time with the Lord and just in my fellowship with the Lord. And while I want to open my physical Bible, uh, sometimes that's just hard based on the season of life that I'm in as far as convenience goes. So being able to keep track of what I'm reading, to have some accountability there. And then I was just introduced to prayer prompts that they have where they each day will prompt you with scripture to pray. Sometimes they have prayers written down. Uh, It really has been helpful. And there are devotionals and different reading plans on this app. You're not going to agree with everyone that they have on there doing the devotionals, you know, so use your discernment and your filter. But it Speaking of incredible technology being able to go to Mars, it's just incredible what we're able to do and who we're able to reach through good uses of technology. That's really good, Lindsay. And I love uh, that you're constantly pulling us back to the ways that we can leverage technology to help us be more faithful Christians. And I especially love that, that brief reflection there on the fact that we used to think all the time, what is it going to take for us to put people, missionaries, like physical people on the ground in every country before every people group uh, in order to get them the gospel? And while that's still absolutely the goal, uh, we forget sometimes that the internet has made it possible to share the gospel with people all over the world. Every place that the internet touches, there is then going to be access uh, to the Christian message and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is just, that's just a really amazing thing. It is amazing, Josh. So what about you? What do you bring into us today to the lunchroom? Yeah, so I'm going to be boring and just bring uh, something that I'm reading and profiting from right now. It's a book called When Athens Met Jerusalem by John Mark Reynolds, and it's basically a Christian introduction to uh, both classical philosophy and the history of Christian thought. It is super interesting to me and like, you know, very nerdy, but uh, if you are not familiar with the uh, Western uh, tradition of philosophy, this would be a pretty good place for you to jump in. It's published by IVP, and uh, while it is several years old, I've I've found it to be incredibly helpful. Okay, when you said I'm going to be boring and share about a book that I'm reading, I was going to respond, that's not boring, Josh. It's good to read books. I love book recommendations. But then when you said the name of the title and the topic— I fell asleep immediately, and in fact, I just woke back up to respond. (laughs) That's probably (laughs) well-deserved. I was just thinking, well, this is typical. Yeah, this is typical. Right. So anyway, that's that. That is my uh, you know leisure reading right now while I am in between major projects. So uh, anyway, book recommendation, take it or leave it. But I'm finding it to be very helpful. 
Brent, what you bring to the table this week? So, uh, you know, I thought this would be a good recommendation. Uh, it's something that I've been watching for a, a few weeks now. Uh, CBS News has a, a series that they have devoted to uh, helping Americans to just find some like common ground with one another, and they call it their Unifying America series. And there's just a lot of good, you know, little three, four-minute reports on uh, steps that Americans in different communities uh, are taking to just just see the folks that that maybe they uh, don't always agree with on various issues, um, you know, whether it's politically or, or culturally, and and just just trying to find some ways to 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 build some rapport and build a relationship with them. And so there's there's some about different communities, one in you know Kentucky and one in uh, Massachusetts that are kind of at the opposite ends uh, politically, just coming together through like Zoom meetings. Uh, there's another about refashioning. Uh, old properties so that people can learn more about black history. Um, it's just, it was a, it's a great series. It's an informative series. It doesn't take a lot of time, but I think it will spark uh, some conversations in your household or your church group about just ways that you can reach out to those uh, who might not be just like you and, uh, and, and build some good common community bonds. And that's, that's certainly something uh, that our nation needs more of right now. Well, that's another example of a good use of technology, Brent. You know, back in the day before we were able to view shows like this or have easy access to them, it wasn't doable to actually witness how other people in other parts of the world or even in our community lived. And now it's so easy to get a peek into their lives and so that we can no longer say we haven't seen, you know, we have seen. And Hopefully, the Lord will use that to soften our hearts to, like you said, and like the goal of this is, uh, to be a unifying force between us as Americans, but more than that, for us Christians to um, minister to those around us. So that's going to do it for the show today. As always, we just want to say thanks so much for listening. We are glad to just walk through every week with you as we deal with all the things happening in our world and in our culture and trying to think about those things through a gospel framework. If you like the show and want to help us spread the word, please consider uh, sharing this episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.